All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. What do you know? It's our last lesson of the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs. Crazy enough, we've had three lessons. This is lesson 132, 122, excuse me, in the wisdom slash poetic books. It's, it's a love letter. It's a love song that Solomon writes. It's one of the one, one what is it, 1,005 songs that he writes found in 1 Kings 4 that it's referenced. Uh, we do hope that this is his first wife that he's writing to out of the 700, the 300 concubines. But Solomon is just truly attracted to this woman. Now, so that's the storyline, you guys, that we have. We have Solomon, and then he's attracted to a Shulamite woman. Now, throughout the story, you have people that interject their thoughts, their comments, their praises. It's the daughters of Jerusalem. And then you have possibly God's blessings in uh, Song of Solomon 5. And then you have the brothers of the Shulamite. And so everybody's kind of given their input, but isn't that really the case whenever you're dating somebody? And then you're, you're going to get married and then you have, you have a wedding and then you do get married. Like it just, there's something there. I do want to just say something. This is kind of interesting about, uh, the daughters of Jerusalem. I don't really necessarily even go there, but I do think it's kind of a cool picture. If you go to Song of Songs six, verse four, Kevin, there's a comparison here, and I know I haven't gone through the, the timeline yet here, but it says, you are, he's describing her, you are as beautiful as Tirzah, my darling, lovely as Jerusalem, awe-inspiring as an army with banners. So he's describing her even as these cities. When he describes her as Jerusalem, when he describes her as this understanding, okay, Kevin, in, re, in relation to, to Jerusalem in uh, Song of Songs 6-4, like, He's saying, you are the joy of, of everything. You are not only just when I look at you, but you are as lovely as the best of the best cities in the whole world. It's like, this is his painting. This is his backdrop. This is why he fell in love with the Shulamite woman. And over and over again, we've, we've, we've talked about this the last two days. But again, I want to keep walking you through this process because I do think there's a process. I do actually think there's what's called the courtship. I do think that if you are pursuing somebody, it's because you are in anticipation, okay, of a wedding. Like you are courting them. Now, am I going to go so far as is that the only people you're ever going to date are going to be the people that you marry? I don't know. I don't understand how that always works. You know, like uh, I didn't, I really didn't date anybody really, honestly, except Laura. But that's not the case for everybody. That is not always the case. But the point is, is that you are anticipating, <coughs> excuse me, you want to be with a, a, a godly man or a godly woman. Why? Because this is what we talked about yesterday. It will lead to the wedding. And that's where you have consummation. You have sexual marital relations. And so it's going to go from three, six, two, five, one. And then today, the final lesson is so a three. Praise God. It's a three part lesson. You know, I can't say we've, we can say that often in the books of the Bible. And this is where we're going to go today. Here you have the marriage. 
courtship, we're dating. We get into a wedding. Solomon and yes, the Shulamite woman. Okay, they've already been married. Hence, she says, I am your garden. Let us be one. Now that they're one, here's what happens in real life. Okay, I want to back up because I know I'm going to teach on uh, Song of Songs chapter 7. But at the same time, before we do, I want to just kind of do something that it helps me do a little bit of a study here because I don't want to miss this part. You're going to begin to see, you ready for this? Apathy come into their marriage. Okay, uh, apathy is going to come in and actually from 5-2 all the way to chapter 6, verse 13. So here's what you have. And this is really important to understand chapter 7. So you have the problem of apathy. Okay, it's going to be in 5-2 through 6-13. When you hear the word apathy, Kevin, in a marriage, what do you think? Kind of just blah. Just blah. Yeah, we're just kind of existing, just kind of going through it, or just meh. <laughs> I wanted to save that for you. Okay, thanks, Kevin. So, all right, within this apathy, here's, here's what happens. In chapter 5-2 through 8, you have, and let's describe this a little bit, you have indifference and withdrawal, okay, in their relationship. Okay, that's what starts to happen. You become indifferent and you even start to pull back just a little bit. In fact, this is an interesting statistic. Uh, and I was going to go through this yesterday, but it, it's really interesting. One out of 10, this comes from National Sleep Foundation. One out of 10 people in their marriage actually sleep alone on the couch. Okay, so 12% of the marriages in America, they sleep on the couch by themselves. That's what this starts looking like. Indifference and withdrawal. Okay? Now, Solomon and the Shulamite woman, they continue on in 5, 9 through 16. There's something that changed, praise the Lord. There is what's called a renewed affection. Okay? A renewed affection. So somewhere you have to go from the indifference and uh, withdrawal to the renewed affection. And so what you see in Song of Song, chapter 5, verse 9, is that you are still seeing, that you're going to be seeing the, the, the beginning stages of the woman describing her passion for him again. Okay? But I, I wanted to go through this just a little bit because this is real marriage to me. Oh, I love my girlfriend. I'm going to marry her. I married her. I love my honeymoon. I love my time, regardless of where you're at. You can't always stay in the honeymoon phase. And then as you go through life, you go to jobs, you start taking care of each other, start eating, working, playing. You kind of become indifferent in withdrawal times. That's just really what happens in marriage. Look, you can say it didn't happen to you, praise God, but I think it happens in little pockets for all of us. Somewhere in there, there needs to be a renewed affection for each one of us, okay? In this process, somebody actually needs to then take steps towards reconciliation, okay? In 6, 1 through 3. So what does that look like? Well, in 6, 1 through 3, uh, this is kind of an interesting one. It says, uh, where has your love gone? Most beautiful of women. Why? Which way has he turned? We will seek him with you. So she's got their support, these daughters of Jerusalem say, we're with you. Okay, we're going to help him find, we're going to help you find him. Verse two, then it says, my love has gone down to his garden, to beds of spices, to feed in the gardens and gather lilies. Verse three, I am my loves and my love is mine. He feeds among the lilies. In other words, okay, let's, let's get back to how God designed us. And I'm talking about marital relations here, you guys. I'm actually talking about the time that you actually have sex with your husband or your wife. 
I think what happens is people get married. They have a honeymoon. They love it. Sex is amazing. They get married. They go through life. And then you know what happens? You just don't make time for it. You just don't really make time for what God designed to be in the garden. Not trying to be graphic, not trying to be like, like, but what you see in Song of Songs, chapter six, is that the woman says, hey, look, I'm in again. Let's go. Somewhere in there, it needs somebody to take the initiative to see reconciliation in marital relations. And I'm actually talking about physical marital relations. This is what I'm talking about. Now, watch this. Okay, this is important to understand chapter seven. Okay, number four, yeah, indifference, withdrawal, renewed affection. Something kicks in. Somebody says, hey, we'll help you find him. She says, I'm in. Let's do this. <laughs> and then number four, you begin to see restoration. Okay, uh, and this comes from Tom Constable. Restoration of intimacy. Okay, in six, four through 13. So that's what you see. Solomon then says, hey, by the way, here it is. You're as beautiful as Terzah, my darling, lovely as Jerusalem, like all inspiring as an army with banners. Turn your eyes away from me for they captivate me. I can't look at you anymore. <laughs> and then he says, look, your hair, Kevin, the goats are bad. It is. Your hair is like a flock of goats streaming down from Gilead. Your teeth, oh, your teeth are like a flock of ooze. Coming up from washing each of, of having a twin and not one missing. You're, you got all your teeth. Man, Kevin, it's an incredible picture. In fact, it makes me think of this incredible graphic of Solomon and his wife. Look at this, you guys. The flock of goats. Amazing hair. Amazing sheep. And then look, here you have the tower of the neck. You have everything. The honey that's dripping. Oh, my. And then here you have the breasts that are the two fawns. I mean, it's it's an incredible picture. Who wouldn't want to fall in love with that lady? Hmm. Not me. But apparently Solomon does. And what's interesting in this is as, as, as the scripture continues, you know, he begins to describe her more and more. And I'm telling you, what you see is there's a restoration of intimacy. And it comes from somebody. I have to tell you this. Somebody has to take the initiative. Somebody, somebody in your marriage has to take the initiative, say, you know what? I think we've lost our steam a little bit. I think we've lost our passion, our desire for one another. I think once you've had kids and life, you're kind of like, ah, somebody needs to have a renewed affection, take steps towards this reconciliation of actual marriage relationships. And what do you know? There's going to be restoration that's coming. So why did I go there? Because in chapter seven, you will begin to see the communication, okay, of affection. What you're going to begin to see, okay, is how does this look like? What, is, what does this look like specifically in 1 through 10? How do I communicate? Let's go back to how it used to be on the night of our wedding. How do we do that? How do we get to this point? We were dating. We were anticipating it. We had it. We had marriage. We did it. Oh, my goodness. It was amazing. And now we're married and... <laughs> Well, I'm just going to tell you now, the daughters of Jerusalem, which means they're friends, which means they asked them, how are you doing? It's super awkward, and I'm pretty sure I've never had this conversation with Kevin, Richard, Tom. Hey, guys, how's your sex life? I've never gone there. In fact, I'm getting a little blush right now. But you need the daughters of Jerusalem to say, man, this is how God designed it. I need you to consider this because we want your marriage to be as healthy as possible. Why wouldn't we want that for everybody? 
This is what God designed to take us to this point. If it's a reflection of the bride and the bridegroom, why wouldn't we want to be a picture of this? And so in Song of Songs 7, verse 1, it says, this is Solomon talking. Remember, the Solomon and the the Shulamite woman, they're going to be talking back and forth. And he says, how beautiful are your sandaled feet, princess. The curves are are like jewelry, the handiwork of a master. He says in verse 2, your navel is a rounded bowl. I mean, that's a interesting phrase that means you have a round belly (laughs) your navel is a rounded bowl it never lacks mixed wine your waist is a mound of wheat surrounded by lilies in other words he's describing an intimate area okay Wearsby says an intimate area of her body and it suggests that the husband is truly nourished look at this by the love of his of his of his wife so there's nourishment that actually comes from sexual relations from your wife from your spouse it says in verse three, your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. He's describing everything beautiful about his wife. It's like he's just fallen in love again. Your neck is like a town of tower of ivory. Your eyes are like pools in Heshbon. In other words, these refreshing ponds, these refreshing waters by the gate of Bath Rabim. Your nose is, is like the tower of Lebanon. <laughs> Looking toward Damascus, in other words, the capital city of Syria, your head crowns you like Mount Carmel, the hair of your head like purple cloth. In other words, there's royalty here and a king could be held captive in your tresses. Everything I see about you, I love. I almost feel like he's he's just quoting again the very beginning of Song of Songs when he was describing her in anticipation of this. He continues on and he says this in verse six, how beautiful you are and how pleasant my love with such delights. You guys, there it is. Like God has given us our spouse to enjoy. Your stature is like a palm tree. Your breasts are like clusters of, they're like clusters of fruit. And I said, I'll climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes and the fragrances of your breath like apricots and i love verse 9 he says your mouth is like fine wine in other words when i kiss you it's truly like drinking wine so here you have solomon painting the most incredible picture of what i see a man who's been revived in his marriage a man who's been revived and not just coexisting walking around the house taking care of the kids going to your job you know you're an empty nester and you guys are doing your own thing no i see a guy who's revived in saying i want to participate in how god designed this i want to participate in the fruit i want to participate in the in the spices in the pomegranates i want to participate in gazing into your eyes like i want to experience a picture of what god intended true sexual relationship to be like how does this happen? I want to back up really quick. Uh, I mean, not really quick. I want to take some time here. If Kevin, can you go to 6 verse uh, 13? Song of Songs 6, 13. This is an interesting way to look at things. But in order to get to Solomon painting this picture, he's on the same page. He says, come back, come back, Shulamite. Come back, come back, that we may look at you. Why are you looking at the Shulamite as you look at the dance of the two camps? Now, there's two camps mentality. Okay, forgive me, I might pronounce this wrong. So this word, Mahayanam, the two camps. Okay, it should take us back, and Wearsby says it this way, as two armies. It takes us back to the time of Jacob when he was about to meet his brother Esau. Okay, he was very afraid. 
He didn't know what he was going to experience. In fact, if you can go to Genesis 32, verse 1, Jacob, it says in Genesis 32, 1, says Jacob went on his way and God's angels met him. So here's what happens. God truly gave him a vision of an army, okay, of angels sent from heaven to protect Jacob. Jacob was getting ready to fight, or not really, but coming to meet Esau. And then God sends what, Kevin? He sends a, a place, he, he, he sends the armies. And it says, so Jacob called this place where he saw the two armies, the army of God above him and his own army as retainers around him. So he sees the heavenly army and then his own army. Where this happened, this place is called Mahayanam. Okay, this is God's camp where God's presence was there. Here's where you have to understand something. The wife is not viewed as the enemy. The wife is not viewed as the battle axe. Okay, now listen to this. Hang in here. The wife and husband are are like two armies marching together, each helping and defending one another. They're not the two armies that are against each other. And so when he says, like, he wants us to be viewed as one, they didn't battle against each other, but they, but they attacked, look at this, anything that will threaten their marriage. So the heavenly and the earthly came together. You see this? They came together and they're on one page. But if you view your spouse as against you, not on the same spiritual page, not on the same earthly page, I have to tell you, you will always be fighting at each other and you'll never get to this point where you can enjoy one another. And this picture, you guys, of of him saying, finally, in verse nine, your mouth is like fine wine. And then she says this flowing smoothly for my love, gliding past my lips and teeth. In other words, she hopes, as MacArthur says, that the wine would flow greatly over his lips and teeth and please him. So now she's saying, hey, look, yeah, your mouth is like fine wine. But now he says, hey, look, you know, I want this to please you as well. And she says, okay, this is kind of cool. In other words, they both respond to each other. It's not him saying, I want this. She says in the same time, in verse 10, I belong to my love and his desires for me. You know what she's saying? I'm in. In verse 11, it says, the wife took initiative. I don't know if you took a poll in America today, you know, who desires more sex in your marriage, the husband or the wife? I'm willing to bet it's most of the time the husband. Maybe, maybe not. That's probably the scenario across the board. So when he expresses his desire to connect, look what she says. She says, come, my love, let's go to the field. Let's go back to the country. Let's spend the night among the henna blossoms. And just so you know, she refused that in chapter two earlier. So in the dating period, she refused it. But now she's saying in their marriage, yes, come on, let's go. Come, my love, let's go to the field. And she says in verse 12, and I'm going to say this in a funny way. Let's try old things and new things. Let's go early to the vineyards. Let's see if the vine has budded. If the blossom has opened, if the pomegranates are in bloom, there I will give you my love. In other words, I just want to tell you this. From a marriage standpoint, like in order to spice things up, with your sexual relations with your spouse. Get out of town for a day. Get out of town and go find a hotel. Go three hours to a Eureka Springs. Go back to your, whatever it is, go to a place that takes you away and that you guys can reconnect so that this is actually a desire. That's what they say happens. Let's go. 
There I will give you my love. There's no distractions. I think half the battle in marriage and because of sex, there's too many distractions. And can I just tell you, your spouse needs to be the number one focus aside from your relationship with Christ. And in fact, she says, there I will give you my love. Kevin, can you go to 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 7? It's a New Testament supporting verses that go along with this chapter. It says, now in response to the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have relations with a woman. Now watch. But because sexual immorality is so common, remember he's talking about, should I be single? Should I not? Because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have his own wife. And each woman should have her own husband. So the preference is, look, because sexual immorality is such an issue, because of lust and pornography and all of the stuff that's out there, because it's constantly coming at you, it's good if you actually have a spouse. So you don't give in to these things. Now in verse 3, it says this, A husband should fulfill his marital responsibility to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. In other words, they should support each other in the sexual relations. Now watch in verse four, a wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. In other words, do you remember when we talked about the one flesh deal? This text right here says, by the way, you guys need to give each other up to please one another. You don't have the right to say no. The reality is, is you're here to please one another. And that's exactly what the scripture's talking about. But you can't get to this point. You can't get to that point if you're thinking your partner is the enemy. If you're thinking you're in battle with your enemy. If you're thinking like these little things keep building up, you'll never get to the point of restoration of intimacy if you don't humble yourself and give up yourself. Now, look, uh, please, somebody has had some horrible experiences in the past. Some of you have been raped. Some of you have been abused. I'm not talking in those contexts, and I am, I'm sorry that you've had to go through those things. I, I cannot relate to that. All I know is my wife, that's it. And I'm just talking about in a healthy marriage of a husband, one husband, one wife. I'm just talking about this is the context that I'm talking about. And in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 7, 5, it says, So don't deprive one another sexually, except for when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. So when is there a season to not have sex? According to scripture, when you're, when you're praying. Then come together again. In other words, don't wait after your period of prayer. But when you're not devoted to prayer about something specific with you and your wife or just you alone, please be intentional about restoring intimacy in your marriage. Because then it says come together. Otherwise, if you don't, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Because you know what happens in America today, you guys? If you're not finding it from your spouse, you'll go looking for somewhere else. And in verse 6, it says this. I say the following as a concession, not as a command. Verse 7. I wish that all the people were just like me, but each has his own gift from God. One person in this way and another in that way. And I love those words because it's not 100% dogmatic. I can't say you have to do this or you have to do this. And that's what he says. But the reality is, is because it's such a temptation, it's better to be married, experience the fulfillment of what God maybe has designed for your life, and so that you don't give in to these lustful passions. And so in this process, let's go back, if we can, to the Song of Songs, Kevin. 
Go back to verse 12. Verse 12 says, so this is the Shulamite saying, hey, let's go. Let's go early to the vineyards. Let's see if the vine is budded, if the blossom is open, if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. And then verse 13, the mandrakes, an aphrodisiac. It's a maybe a sexual stimulant stimulant that they're talking about. It it, kind of looks like small apples. The mandrakes will give off of a fragrance. At our doors is every delicacy, new and well, as well as old. So let's just try everything. And I've treasured them up for you, my love. What an awesome ending. Hey, let's go away. Let's get away and let's go experience becoming one flesh. Let's go experience the garden on how God designed it. And so here's what I want to just say in closing. And I think it's really kind of a fun Douglas Sean O'Donnell. He is one of the writers for the Kent Hughes series. I'm going to just write four things is that think about it this way. Pure passion. Okay. When you're thinking about marriage in, in a bigger perspective, pure passion must be patient. In other words, you've got to wait. You've got to wait as you're going through this, this courtship. Pure passion must be patient. But then at the same time, you know why? Because pure passion, okay, it's going to lead to is pleasurable. So when you are patient, you can understand it will be oh so good. It'll totally be worth it. And here's another reality, you guys, pure passion. This is a summary, in my opinion, of um, Song of Songs, these four that I'm going to go through. Pure passion is a protection against impure passion. You know what I mean by that? When you and your wife (laughs) are having really good sex and you and your wife are experiencing like the one flesh, how God designed. You really are the groom and the bride. You're, you're walking this out. You know what it does? It, it just keeps all of the enemy away. You're not looking at your phone. You're not at the computer. You're not addicted to these stuff. Why? Because you're in love with your wife. It's a protection. And then here's my favorite. Pure passion is a promotion of the passion. And what do we mean by this? Pure passion is a promotion of the passion. When you are so drastically in love with your wife, and people know it, you're holding hands. I'm serious. Like you actually put your arm around her. Your kids notice that you kiss every day or you pick up your wife because you love her or you're outside in the world and people say, man, you've been married 17 years or you've been married. married. How many years have you been married, Rich? Uh, 24, it'll be 24, um, April, 24 years. Like when people notice, like that's, that's different. When your marriage is a reflection of the love of Christ, because as Christ loved the church, you're to love your spouse. When people begin to notice that, guess what? He gets the glory. Christ gets the glory in all of this. (laughs) And it makes me go back to our word. Bridegroom. Christ is the bridegroom. And what do we mean by that? It means that Christ is truly excited to be connected with his bride. And so when we do that in our earthly marriage, it points to the bigger picture of who Christ is and the church. Kevin, if you would, would you go to Ephesians 5, 25, please? 
Ephesians 5.25, Christ is the bridegroom. And that's your one word that we've been talking about. So here's your challenge. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. When we live by this, not only is your marriage exciting, fun, challenging, but healthy, then he gets the glory. People really begin to see who the real bridegroom is and that he's ready to come back for his bride. All right, guys, this is the Song of Solomon. This is the Song of Songs. Three lessons. My prayer is that you've been encouraged and that somehow, whether you're single or married, this will begin to paint a more uh, biblical approach, maybe, of how you viewed it before. Have a great day.